Welcome to the Nurse and Midwife Support Podcast, Your Health Matters. I'm Mark Aiken, the podcast host. I'm the Stakeholder Engagement Manager with Nurse and Midwife Support, and I'm a registered nurse. Nurse and Midwife Support is the national support service for nurses, midwives and students. The service is anonymous, confidential and free, and you can call us anytime you need support. 1-800-667-877 or contact us via the website nmsupport.org.au I'm delighted to announce the winner of the Nurse and Midwife Support International Year of the Nurse and the Midwife Story Competition is Frankie Finch with her wonderful story B and Me, a graduate midwife story. Frankie's going to share her story. And after that, we're going to have a conversation about that story. So hello and welcome, Frankie. Hello. Um, thank you very much for having me. And yeah, thank you very much for, um, for liking my story. Um, so just a little bit about myself. Um, I... Uh, I'm a midwife in nearly my fourth year of practice. Um, I work in a labour ward in um, a tertiary maternity hospital in Western Australia. Um, I have just started um, some postgraduate study. I've started doing a master's in health administration policy and leadership this year um, in order to better understand and hopefully make some changes to the systems that we work in. And uh, writing is, a, I guess, just a little bit of a side project of mine. Um, but, yeah, obviously you don't get to, to that very often with, with life um, and all of the other things that you do in it. So it's nice to, to do a little bit of writing and um, to have that seen and appreciated. So, um, yeah. All right. So before I start reading my story, I just wanted to um, say a couple of things. Firstly, that my story involves looking at perinatal loss from the perspective of a midwife. Um, so while I feel like this is an important story, I want, also wanted to acknowledge that this is a small piece of the story of perinatal loss um, and that the much bigger story comes from the parents and families who've lost a child in the perinatal period. Um, I want to acknowledge the women and the parents and their families who've been affected by perinatal loss um, and say that it's an honour to be present for a small but significant part of their experiences. Um, the other thing I just wanted to mention quickly was that um, the story itself jumps between conversations that I had with my graduate program coordinator throughout my grad year um, and jumps between those conversations and one particularly significant day I had at work during that period. Um, and this is easier to show on the page because uh, I've signified the difference in diff using different fonts, but it'll be a little bit trickier when I'm reading it out. So um, I've got my cup of tea here and I just figured I would have a sip from my cup of tea as a big pause, just to show you that I'm jumping between these time periods. Okay, so uh, I'll get started. So the, as uh, was already said, the story is called Bee and Me, A Graduate Midwife Story. 
So the interview. If you're successful, you'll be looking after complex, high-risk women, but you'll be well supported in doing it, B said, kind and serious at the same time. I understand. I feel like by the time I finish my course requirements, I'll be ready. I'll be okay. I tried my best to look as if I meant it. Undergraduate, postgraduate, dual degree, it doesn't matter where you come from. By the end of the graduate year, nobody can tell the difference, B said with confidence. I burst into tears once I got back to the car. I had no idea if I'd ever be ready. There was a note in the diary. The diary usually just contained a list of scheduled cesarean sections for the day. By then, I'd attended seven full shifts of scheduled cesareans. I was nearly finished the two weeks of elective sections we were all required to endure as part of the graduate midwifery program. I was more than six months into my graduate year and feeling less and less useless and out of my depth each day. I greedily lapped up each experience as it came. Next to each name on the list in the diary, there were numbers and letters, mainly acronyms, which hopefully provided information about the indication for caesarean and potential complications. Next to the third name on the list, the letters NNM slash PLS had been written. This meant that there was a neonatal management plan in place. The letters PLS stood for perinatal loss service and indicated that planning had occurred around what would happen in the event that the baby did not survive. The accompanying note, a particular consultant neonatologist was named in the note and was to be called to discuss the plans and to ensure he would be completely available to attend. When I spoke to him, he told me that the baby had a heart defect, but it was impossible to know the extent of the defect if it wasn't so extensive and the baby could be successfully intubated and oxygenated, it might be able to be stabilised and it could have an operation to fix the heart. If the intubation didn't work to stabilise the baby, it meant that the defect was extensive. If the intubation didn't work, they wouldn't make further attempts to resuscitate because the neonatologist advised it would be unlikely to help. If the intubation didn't work, they would stop. They, the parents, didn't want cardiac massage. They didn't want to, their baby given adrenaline. They wanted to let the baby go peacefully if that's what was to be. I wasn't going to be the only midwife in the theatre. My colleague, another young midwife with a stunning smile and matching attitude would be there too. There would be neonatal nurses, obstetricians, registrars, junior doctors, students. I felt safe, supported, just like B said I'd be. A baby might die, but there was a plan and I knew my role and what I was supposed to do. I knew what to say. I knew what paperwork needed to be filled out. I was ready. Week four, I swore under my breath and did a quick about face. I was speed walking the wrong way down the corridor. 
up and down the halls of the postnatal ward, I always seemed to be walking the wrong way. I spun around abruptly and B was there, just checking up. B was the graduate midwifery program coordinator. She looked after us all, mother hen-like, trying to make sure we swam rather than drowned in our graduate year. Are you going okay, she asked. She had probably heard the swear words and could smell my stress sweat. I was carrying a piece of paper tattered from being folded and refolded since 0700 hours. It was an A4 schedule of medications and observations, scrawled handwriting across a printed table, multiple crosses, ticks and scribbles. I had taken it out of my pocket to try and figure out what I should be doing next and which direction I should have been walking. I refolded it and put it back in my shirt pocket with the three pairs of scissors I'd managed to acquire that morning. All good, I lied, just busy. I plastered on my fake smile, the one I used for patients in the hallways. At the same time, I ran a list of outstanding tasks through my mind, tried not to let any of them drift too far away and float off into that part of my brain that stored things and only let them bubble back out when I was lying in bed trying to get to sleep. Make an appointment with me if you want to chat, okay? She said with a smile, genuine and caring. I can't remember if he cried when he was born. I think he did, a quiet cry, a squeak. He was plump and pink, just like the other two I'd seen born already that day, the two that belonged to the other mums on the list. I wrote down the time of birth. The obstetrician passed the baby to the neonatologist who placed the baby boy on a resuscitation cot. The doctors and neonatal nurses started to work. He had a full head of black hair. He was what we'd call a good size, big, but not too big. Somewhere between three and four kilos, he had chubby bits in all the right places. They intubated him and helped him to breathe. They watched for the machine to say that his oxygen uptake was improving. The baby's dad watched over the doctors and flitted backwards and forwards to his wife, who lay cut open on the operating table. She lay there with her insides exposed while the paediatric medical staff ascertained whether her child would live or die. My colleague and I did midwives tasks as it was not our role to ascertain such things. On the outside, calm and steady, we took blood from the umbilical cord. We inspected the placenta. We called the ward clerk to register the baby as a patient. We filled out the forms that say a baby has been born. On the inside, our chests tightened as we kept an eye on the cot and tried to gauge the probability of a poor outcome without anyone saying a word. Week 23. I dream about it, being a midwife, most nights. That's a bit of a worry, B said, sipping from her cup and raising her eyebrows. Is it? I asked. You need to have things that matter to you outside of midwifery. When it comes down to it, it's just a job. I nodded. 
His oxygen uptake wasn't improving with successful intubation. The pink had started to drain away from the baby's cheeks. The baby's dad, with bilateral tear trails running down each of his, said that maybe they should stop. Just stop and see what happens. And when they knew he was sure that's what he wanted and that he knew what it meant, they extubated the baby. The baby's mum did not want to see her little boy. She couldn't bear to hold him. She couldn't bring herself to look at him. She lay on the operating table being stitched back closed while they stopped assisting her baby to breathe, her grief too large to let her look over or reach out to him. The neonatal nurses looked awkward and out of sorts when there was no more work for them to do. Where were they meant to stand or look? The student midwife began to cry and was asked to leave when the obstetrician noticed her tears. She could cry outside, but inside the operating theatre, there was only space for the parents' grief. My colleague followed her out to pick up the pieces when the student fell apart in the hall. Week 31. I think nine out of 10 midwives are wonderful, friendly, happy to help. It's the one in 10 that get you, but even the supportive ones treat you like you're a bit of an idiot. They don't treat you like you're an idiot. They treat you like you're an entry-level practitioner because that's what you are. B stifled a laugh and smiled as she said it. With the final stitches in place, closing the mother's wound, it was time to leave the operating theatre. Yes, she was sure she didn't want the baby to come with her. Yes, she was sure that she needed her husband with her in recovery. She was wheeled away and her husband followed. The neonatal nurses and the obstetrician left. They had played their role. I had reassured them that I knew what to do next. The neonatologist and I stood while the theatre staff cleaned and prepared for the theatre for the next operation, watching the baby boys breathing slow, knowing it wouldn't be long. A bassinet arrived so that I could transport the baby boy from theatre and so we could clean and prepare the resuscitation cot for the next theatre case. It was when I went to transfer him across to the bassinet that I realised it wasn't the place for him to be. He should be held and I should hold him. So I shushed and rocked him and patted his bottom like I'd done with all the other babies I'd cared for in my first year of practice. I admired his perfect cherub lips, his slightly upturned nose and his dainty eyelashes. I stroked his black hair. I saw his beauty and perfection. Rather than be sad, I radiated as much love as I could muster from all of my cells, and I hoped so, so much that he could feel it. I knew that with his mushy, brand-new baby brain, he would never know hurt or fear or sorrow. He would only know this day, this moment, where he would be held warm and cherished. I let my heart swell inside me and my adoration spill out into the cold theatre and wash over the bundle of blankets as I held him. Of course, nobody saw a thing, but I could feel it. 
I have no idea if it made a difference in the scheme of things, in all the sadness and suffering in the world of midwifery and all the lives that come and go. The logical part of me knew that I was probably comforting myself more than I was comforting him. The cynic inside me suggested perhaps it did not matter at all where he spent the last minutes of his short life. The cynic also scoffed and said I was being silly and that in a few years' time when I was a good midwife, an experienced midwife, moments like these would pass by without a second thought. But the biggest part of me felt immensely proud that I was the person who had the chance to love him when the grief that had consumed his parents would not allow them to be present in that moment. A few minutes later, using his stethoscope, the neonatologist pronounced the baby dead in my arms. Week 48. My door is always open, okay, even when you're not a grad anymore. Really? I asked, genuinely surprised. Of course, B said, but you won't need it. Thank you very much. Thank you very, very much, Frankie. A wonderful story. And I really appreciate you sharing it. It's heartfelt, it's honest, it's poignant, and it's uplifting. It made me cry, laugh, and glad to read it and reread it. And even though there is sadness and death, you honour and celebrate life, the baby, the parents, and your colleague, colleagues. Um, such a wonderful gift. What I'm really interested in also is, did B read the story? Uh, actually, she read it two days ago. <laughs> um, I sent it. Yeah, I sent it to her when I found out that I was going to be reading it. Um, uh, but she was on leave, so I think she only got it yesterday or the day before. Yeah. And what was her response? Um, so she, yeah, she said that she enjoyed it, um, and she, I, she congratulated me on on the story, but uh, also on my development as a midwife. Um, yeah, because obviously I've, I've come a long way in, in the last three years since, um, since I was in a graduate program um, and, and got a lot more confident and, um, in expressing myself and, and in being a midwife. So, yeah. Well, well done you. I love the journal and diary format. What was the reason for choosing that format? Well, I felt like I had two stories, you know, so I felt um, like I wanted to express how supportive and um, and wonderful that kind of grad program was um, and how it kind of facilitated growth and, and independence. But I also wanted to show the that hugely significant um like day in in the life of a midwife, which you know those sorts of days um, can can happen every day for a different midwife. So yeah, uh, the, the the two kind of fitted together in the end, which was really nice. And you show vulnerability and rawness in a way, and honesty and incredible emotional depth. Was that difficult to share that? And what did motivate you to share it? Um. Oh, that's a tough one. 
Um, so, I mean, I find writing um, cathartic. Uh, I feel like, you know, understanding feelings and events happens for me when I write them down. Um, and, you know, I get an understanding of the things that have happened and the way that I've felt about things, uh, like in a way when they're written down, that I don't get in ordinary life, um, just, just having them pass by. Um, yeah, I think, and in sharing it, I don't know, I, I saw, the, saw the ad, I was procrastinating about study. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, yeah, I'll finish that off and, and, and chuck it in and see what happens. Well, we're incredibly pleased you did, Frankie. And is there anything you'd like to say to a midwife considering writing their story? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, the more the more writing that we do, the better. It's tricky um, because, you know, you have issues with confidentiality, um, uh, you know, legal stuff. Um, I guess a lot of the time when you have these, these poor or not so wonderful outcomes um they're the subject of, of legal proceedings and it's tricky but and so but writing for yourself is is just as good as writing for everybody else so you know if you if you have to write it down and keep it in a safe place um then then that's okay too there might be an appropriate time to share it um and you know just writing and debriefing and sharing with your colleagues is so important um for getting through this sort of stuff, I think. In the beginning of your story, you state, if you are successful, you'll be looking after complex, high-risk women, but you'll be well supported in doing it, B said. I think that's a really important point that you make, the importance of it being reiterated that you'll be well supported in the often complex and challenging work we do as midwives and nurses. How important do you think it is um, that midwives and nurses get support? And what would you say to a midwife who needs support? So support, it, it's everything, you know. Um, uh, being a midwife, I guess, in particular, it's, it's part of who you are. Um, and so when, when we do this job, um, yeah, and, and we want to do it well because it's a reflection of, of who we like who we want to be as people and what kind of care we want to provide. Um, this is the sort of experience that, you know, without the correct support, it could have it could have broken a human, you know. Um, so using the supports that are there for hospitals, providing those supports, like to have another midwife with me there in that experience, to have my grad. Um, coordinators support me to to be ready to go and do that before being thrown in the deep end. It meant that that it was while it was sad, it was a an experience for growth and empowerment. Um, and I guess that that's how you spin spin those types of experiences to become positive ones is by having the appropriate support. Um, so yeah, if you're you're a midwife out there who um, feels like feels like it's not there. I mean, there are obviously places you can reach out to. Find your champion at work is the best thing to do. Um, the people that you can go to just to debrief who are always going to listen. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, that has been pretty important in my success in this kind of high-risk, um, stressful environment that I work in. 
Thanks, Frankie. And just to remind everybody, you can also call Nurse and Midwife Support, the National Support Service for Midwives, Nurses and Students, 1-800-667-877 or via the website nmsupport.org.au. The service is anonymous, confidential and free and we're available 24-7. So please don't hesitate to call. So Frankie, Congratulations once again. Thank you so much for sharing your story and writing it. We really hope you continue to write because we think you've got several more stories to tell and we'd love to hear from you in the future. So thanks again, Frankie. Yeah, thank you very much. And just a quick shout out to my colleagues at The Mothership, uh, particularly in Labor Ward. They are all amazing. Thanks very much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.